Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. Ace Podcast. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. We're talking the success of the Kingsmen, the failure of Ninjago, what the debut for Star Trek Discovery does for CBS, do you want to see Han Solo's Kessel Run, a recap of Week 3 in the NFL, and does anyone care anymore about Call of Duty? All this, and we grill the grill master on the best way to cook some ribs. Mmm. As we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another edition of the number one show on the podcast radio network. It is the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly thank you for being part of the broadcast here today. And of course, always at my side, he is the man of myth, the legend behind Humanica Media. He is the Templar leader of Humanica Media. It's Josh Peterson. What's up, my friend? What up, man? Yeah, the the Templar reference. Yeah, it, it's ironic because Assassin's Creed's coming out. So, well, I just saw you know I'm trying to reach out for different things. So you are the Templar leader, my friend. If you were to call me Illuminati, more kids would listen to this podcast because they seem to be obsessed with that these days. Okay, the Templar Illuminati of Humanic Media. Here we go. Skyrocketed by at least ten. Well, again, we truly appreciate you being here and listening in want to make sure that everybody knows out there that we've got a great episode indeed we've got rob mccallum on deck talking han solo we've got week three in the nfl with tyler baker from the fantasy football pater podcast and we've also got ben arno from smoking hot confessions podcast and if you are hungry we may want to be able to get something to eat first because it's going to be a great time indeed as I talk with Ben about his life as a competition barbecue specialist and grill master. And also we talk about the difference between cooking pork ribs and beef ribs. Mm. Tell you what, I was getting hungry as we were having the conversation. Oh my goodness, indeed. But it's going to be a great podcast for you. We also got another great song from our good friend Chad and Hyperschmidt. But first, Josh, another great weekend at the box office. This time it was Kingsman coming out on top with a pretty much as expected $39, $40 million at the domestic box office this weekend. It coming pretty close behind at another 30. But I want to ask real quick your thoughts on Ninjago, which didn't meet expectations by quite a bit, as it was expected to do around $30 million, but unfortunately fell quite a bit short at around 20 What are your thoughts on why the Lego Ninjago movie did not meet up to expectations at the box office this weekend? It's because, like I was saying, that this is 
do mostly the fact that and then like uh, so the lego movie was you know it reached out to all sorts of people families kids even adults like us we would go see the movie because it had a lot of uh, subtle adult references in it lego batman you know that's kind of pushing more into a subsect of lego collectors lego fans lego people who like the lego shows but you know with ninjago you're going even further into that subsect of lego fans you know you have the show on netflix or wherever kids watch it these days you know it's more kid oriented than anything else they i i know with the voice actors and some of the jokes they throw on their they're trying to reach out to families or they have adults bring their kids but i don't think that it's a movie that adults really want to bring their kids to see you know not in like the the vein of a dreamworks film like boss baby or something like that that has stuff that's meant for adults as well as kids i think that the Ninjago is more a kid movie. I'm curious to see how the numbers will do when it hits uh, DVD and Blu-ray. Maybe there'll be more parents buying it for their kids and they'll watch it then. But, you know, I just think that Lego should stick to, you know, their main squeeze, which is the Lego movies. And they wouldn't have to worry about these declining box office numbers. I agree with you on that. But also as well, I think the timing of it coming out in late September also has something to do with it because kids are in school and even though it was, you know, the weekend and whatnot, but parents are trying to catch up. Families are trying to catch up with everything that went on during the week and whatnot. Not a lot of time is always spent uh, for the families as a whole on going to see family movies. So we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully it will get a better life on DVD and Blu-ray, but it does bode a little bit of more of a question when the Lego movie two inevitably hits at some point down the road. Well, also going on this weekend, it's been a very, very busy weekend with all the stuff that we are going to talk about here, including week three in the NFL and and all this other great stuff that's going on, TV premieres right and left. But one TV premiere that has us talking is Star Trek Discovery, which premiered on CBS and CBS All Access this weekend. And obviously, everybody is now excited again because there's a Star Trek TV show and TV series that's now back on the air. I ask you, Josh, I got a chance to see the first episode myself and I have some opinions on it. I want to hear your thoughts first on what Star Trek Discovery will do for the CBS All Access platform since the first episode is only being premiered once on CBS Broadcasting Network. You know, I can, I can make vague assumptions about this. I never really got into Star Trek beyond the, uh, you know, J.J. Abrams Paramount flicks. But, you know, it's it's weird because there was a golden era of space travel TV shows. And now it's just not the best time for it. Because I was reading something and they were taught, the producers are talking about how uh, TV is really hard now, especially for a show like Star Trek. And I think that's because it's, you know, even if you watch sci-fi, you have shows like Defiance and uh, what the 100, and it's not uh, people are it's slowly losing viewership. People are losing interest in it, and it's because we have these big epic sci-fi shows now, like Westworld, or even you know you want to go into uh, you know magic like Game of Thrones. We have these big epic shows now, and it's just not meeting the bar of you know a normal nostalgia show like star trek so it'll be interesting i applaud the writers if they can keep the show going for a while so we'll just have to see and i'm really curious too about the orville and how that's doing i mean i defer to you on star trek well i'll tell you what first off it's it's i'm glad you mentioned the orville because even though the numbers have 
still declined a little bit. They don't get the NFL football lead in on Sunday nights because they've been transferred over to Thursdays, but they're still getting a, a very good 18 to 49 share, as our friends at the TV ratings guide would say. Still about uh, two, three million people tuning in to the actual Orville. So, so that's definitely a, a deep good sign for them holding over some audience and, and hopefully they'll be able to retain that. But I want to make sure that everybody out there knows that so far, Star Trek Discovery, from what I've seen and what from most of the other people that are out there that are reviewing it, are also giving it pretty good marks so far. I think it's a, a good way to get people intrigued into CBS All Access. I don't know if it's going to be the be-all, end-all to get them in, but still, it's a great start. I would love to actually have it on CBS Broadcasting Network. I would be more inclined to go ahead and actually commit to the series. Do I want to commit $10, another $10 a month for another network? I'm not sure that that'll do it, even if it's a great Star Trek show or Star Trek series or whatnot. I do enjoy the Star Trek universe. I'm not a diehard fan of Trekkie per se, but I do enjoy quite a bit of the Star Trek universe that's been out there. So I, I would love to get my hands to chance to see more of the Star Trek Discovery series. I may have to buckle under. We'll have to wait and see. Time will tell for a lot of people if they will commit to it. I know the numbers will come in probably very strong because it's coming after 60 minutes in the NFL on Sunday nights for this one-time premiere. So I'm hoping that they will maybe change their minds and put it back on the broadcast network after it's done its run on CBS All Access, maybe sometimes in the summer. That would be great, but you know we'll have to wait and see. I, I'd like to see more from that universe, but am I willing to spend $10 a month on it? I'm, I'm going to have to say no, but I'm definitely open to suggestions if, if maybe, you know, they, because they, they're not doing it this, the new way that a lot of these networks are doing it now where they put out a series, three or four episode block or the entire episodes block of, for the season and just saying, have at it and binge watch. No, they're, they're basically put out the first two episodes and then they're going to be putting one out on a weekly fashion for, for quite some time. So I'm intrigued, but it's still not enough to make me commit to actually getting the CBS All Access package. I know there's not enough CBS programming that I enjoy that I like behind it. Maybe my wife will disagree with me on that, but as of now, I, I don't think I'm going to commit to it either. What are your thoughts on Star Trek Discovery? Do you like the series? Do you, have you watched the episode or two? You know, Share us your thoughts. And also, while you're at it, let us know if it's something that you will commit to CBS All Access in the future, because we'd love to hear if you're interested in getting another network, because there's Hulu and Netflix and you know so much, so many other networks on the sun that all want ten dollars a piece and fifteen dollars a piece and whatnot. Is it really worth getting another subscription to another television service? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanic and Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. But it's a great show we've got lined up for you. This is Chad Smith and Hyper Schmidt. Check out all of his great songs on YouTube. And this is After All. And this is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Here at the start, where you are, oh, I would not change a thing. 
you were dear, you were flawless. Will you fix my broken wing on a ledge? Can you see what you know you're looking for? I am sure I've forgotten. Once again, I lost my goal. In my problems, I feel small. It's the climb of a life. It's a fight, and I know we're gonna fall. Bloody knees, broken wings, and it's worth it. It's the climb of a life. It's a fight, and I know we're gonna fall. Bloody knees, broken wings, and it's worth it after all. We start again. Can I see? Listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do do people still use dials? We are the Metal Geeks Podcast, and on this show we have heavy metal, comic books, video games, movies, theme parks, and more. Wait, 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 comics? Yep. And movies? Exactly. Video games? Yeah. Metal? 
Of course. How does theme parks fit in this? It just does. All of us Metal Geeks can be found at MetalGeeks.net. At Metal Geeks for Twitter. Metal Geeks on Instagram. And Metal Geeks on the Facey Space. You can also find us on iTunes. Subscribe today. Metal Geeks. show this is Gerald glassford from pop culture cosmos and game source we truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today and it's that time again it's time for some more pop talk so that's right some pop talk with rob cosmic crossfire it's cosmic crossfire i thought i'll tell you what i'll give you a few more minutes to wake up and then you can see see where we're at pop talk <laughs> All right, Cosmic Roundtable. doesn't have the same ring to it. Cosmic Crossfire. Cosmic Crossfire, indeed. Fair enough. All right, all right. So I'm here with, once again, my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend. He is the director of Nintendo Quest. Sorry, didn't want to. <laughs> Dramatic pause. Build, build the suspense. I know, I know. Tell me about it. But that's, you know, I had to do it because of the noises and all that. It's Rob McCallum. It's always great to have you back on the program, my friend. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, a few other things going on in the old uh, land of my career, I suppose. Fair enough, indeed. So we're going to have more of the Cosmic Crossfire right now with Rob McCallum taking the reins and, well, picking out pop culture subjects that he likes right now that wants us to share and discuss on today's program. So, Rob, have at it, my friend. What have we got on the docket for today? It wouldn't be a cosmic crossfire if we did not talk about Star Wars in some capacity. <laughs> okay. Um, there has been lots of little breadcrumbs about this Han Solo film that Ron Howard is now directing. And one of his recent Twitter posts was simply captioned, Spicy. And it seems that the Han Solo film is likely to feature the infamous Kessel Run. What are your thoughts on that before I go into a long tangent? Well, I'll make it short since you're going to have a long tangent. I think it's something that has to be a natural. There has to be something beyond what has been described in the Star Wars lore. Kessel Run, obviously the winning the Millennium Falcon, and you know that's great and all that. And you'll get to see obviously see all that alluded to within the comments that Ron Howard has made. But hopefully there will be substantially more to this movie than just what has been heard or, or you know spoken about uh, so much in Star Wars lore. Well, this now is you. the problem. Like, are we just going to see pictures to stuff that we already know about that's organized in a nice, coherent screenwriting fashion and structure? I don't need to see the Kessel Run. This is something and information I already know. I'm not challenging it. I don't need to see it take place. I accept it for what it is. He did it in 12 parsecs, whatever that means. Let me visualize what that is in my head. Let it remain a little undefined so that it's a little bit more magical. We've talked about this before. The more that you define in the Star Wars saga, the less mystery and magic does this thing hold. Less is more people. We saw this the first time when it was Obi-Wan turning to Luke saying, I served with your father in the Clone Wars. 
Then we get the Clone Wars. Boy, did that really take out the the magic of what Obi-Wan and Anakin were like when they were hanging out together. What the Clone Wars were. We don't even know what that was at the time. It could have been anything. Were there clone Jedis? Were there clone, you know, something else out there? And then they had to start defining everything. And the more that they defined, the more that they got in trouble because the rules kind of got complicated and it lost that uh, that, that mystery and that magic that makes Star Wars so intoxicating. Because they started grounding everything in these harsh definitions that were not easy to wrap your head around. They, they took out these absolutes that they, they said were there, there that we all just kind of bought into because that's all that mattered. We needed to know this so that we could understand the next thing. You start filling in those gaps the wrong way. You start caring less about it because you can't fall in love with it because everything is given to you. There's no processing of the imagination. Everything is served up. It's the pellets again. Here you go. I'm giving you exactly what you want, exactly what you want. I'm not making your imagination work to understand why this character is awesome. Han Solo's a bit of a rogue. He's a, he's a one-man show. Why? Here's his long list of things that he's known for. Oh, what do they all mean? You know, and you start thinking about what it is and what the reputation of, of this guy that, that he's bringing with him. You don't need to see it all to believe it. It takes away from why the character is so good, and this is the problem with the origin films. They start to over-defining why we love these characters when we love them already. If we love them already, why are you working so hard to make me love them more? Next thing so, you'll see is Donald Glover and his maneuver at the Battle of Danab. Yeah, well, and that's just it, right? Like Again, we don't need to see more about Lan. And I keep going back to it. Give us something that isn't connected to the Skywalker saga. If you want me to care about something new in Star Wars... Don't go back to the well and keep pumping the same water because it's going to taste like water and it's probably going to be tainted because you're digging way too deep. Digging way too deep on that. That's the problem. It's not It's not always playing and catering to the way Star Wars fans, really hardcore Star Wars fans, or even those very familiar with the lore, want to see because they want to see something outside because, like you said, they're already very familiar with it. They're catering to a much wider audience and maybe they're, they're not as familiar with those aspects of the Star Wars lore and universe. So they're wanting to sprinkle that in to make it seem familiar. So it will drag everybody in who's either very familiar or even not so familiar with the franchise and, and bring that familiarity. Oh yeah, I remember them talking about that in, in Star Wars and, and all that. So Everybody's familiar with this. I, you're not filling in the gaps for anybody. Because all you're going to do is make that moment later on in the, other, in the other films if they do get hooked with this one, play less significantly. I agree with you on that. They don't have to fill in all the gaps and, and make every dot all the I's and cross all the T's, but they plan on doing so anyways. And whether or not that's the right decision, I don't know. I mean, this particular movie has had its more than a share of trouble. I don't have the highest of hopes for it, which is pretty disappointing. And I haven't had that kind of bad feeling about an upcoming star wars movie since you know since the 1990s sorry jay well i mean i guess the only consolation is we do get episode eight this year right and then six months later we get the han solo movie so and then uh in 2019 we're gonna be getting the actual episode number nine is that correct yeah okay so and uh, but will it still come out in may it's still looks like it's still going to, but I don't know. I kind of have a feeling they still may delay it. Uh, I was surprised that they haven't done that already because they've already done it with episode nine not coming out in May, and that's been pushed back to December. Yeah, well, we'll see because if it's going to come out in May, we would likely see a trailer for it with episode eight. 
Time, time will tell, and we're supposed to get the next episode eight trailer sometime in October. I'm heard I, I hear as well, so we will see how all that unfolds. Less is more. I get less interested in everything that's going on with these Star Wars spinoffs, and even episode eight and nine. Now that's a shame because you know you've you've had and held an interest in the Star Wars franchise for so long. I'm still gonna go to them, so maybe they're winning anyways. But it's just. I don't know. I think it's lazy. I think they could be much more inventive than that. That's but it all. sounds more like, to you, it's an obligation than it is a choice. Uh, no, I just, I mean, as a filmmaker, I think it's kind of important to, to see these films. I just think it's a bad screenwriting choice. So sometimes you learn more from the films that don't work than the ones that do. Rob, cool. as always, thank you for being part of the Cosmic Crossfire and part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. <laughs> way too late for that it's too late for that hey this is chad from ghost toasters and you're listening to pop culture cosmos podcast if you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games we can help retro city games in henderson nevada only five minutes from the las vegas strip has all your favorite gaming staples classics and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back with the program. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you coming back and listening to us. Oh my goodness, I'll tell you what, everywhere you go all around the world, you know, there is a universal language that everybody knows about, cares about, and truly, truly that is very endearing to them. Okay, everyone, get your mind out into a different place now. We're not talking about that now. We're talking about food. And I'll tell you what, it's a great pleasure to have is the host of the Smoking Hot confessions podcast which you can find on libsyn apple podcasts stitcher overcast.fm and player.fm and also as well the great blog well it's great if you're not hungry smokinghotconfessions.com it is ben arno ben is just great to have you here on the show all the way from queensland australia uh, it's it's great to be here it's great to have you on the show as well, talking some awesome food, awesome barbecuing. And we're talking to an, an award-winning barbecue grill master. He just got out of a competition. He, you know, as far as, Ben, you, you finished really high over there back in, you know, in Australia, and you are actually coming next year to the States as far as for the world competition uh, of barbecuing. Is that correct? Uh, almost, almost. We uh, we did do very well just last weekend down in Port Macquarie. At its its nickname is Barbecue Wars because it's the biggest barbecue competition in Australia. It's actually the Blues and Barbecue Festival, and it's uh, it's it's put on by the founders of the Australasian Barbecue Alliance over here. They're our our governing body for competition barbecue. And uh, last weekend it was just uh, it was just incredible. We were right on the side of the beach. So if you've ever seen a photo of an Australian beach, then you know what I'm talking about. There was 101 teams there competing. It was the biggest competition, not only in Australia, but ever in the Southern Hemisphere. 
and also the biggest barbecue competition ever outside of the United States. I assume that you, and I know from what you told me as well, you placed very high in several competitions. Is that correct? Yeah, that is. That is. So this one uh, just last weekend of the 101 teams, uh, we came third place overall. So we, we picked up a first in chicken, which puts us into the ballot draw to, put, to come to Texas to the World Championships in Houston in March next year. It's uh, going to be a very exciting day. Uh, I can imagine, indeed. And I wish you all the best with that, indeed. And I, I tell you what, it is just an honor to be talking to one of the premier grill masters, not only in the Southern Hemisphere, but also as well, you know, I'm just going to say it, the entire world as well. Let's just, let's just give you all the props on that because it's so great to have you here. But before we go into all the great stuff with your site and, and all the great stuff as far as juicy, tasty barbecuing and all that, I want you to tell me exactly what goes on. I've heard a couple episodes already, but tell everybody out there why they should listen to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Um, I, I run my podcast uh, a little bit differently to that uh, some podcasts are done. Um, I'm a teacher by profession, and so I tend to think in terms of start and finish points, uh, like a like a syllabus, I guess. And I really want people to learn things, to, to, to listen to my podcast and come away with something. So episodes one to 10 are the series that I call Comp Ready. And in those 10 episodes, I talk to the best uh, pitmasters, butchers, suppliers, sponsors in the game here in Australia, and uh, really pick their brains, get into the nitty gritty with them, and uh, put that all together in a logical sequence so that you start with episode one, finish with episode 10. And by the time you get to episode 10, you jump on my website, pick up your free ebook, and you're ready to jump into your first barbecue competition. If people go to smokinghotconfessions.com, they can get a free ebook as far as better tips as far as barbecuing. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. It is. It's called uh, 27 Lessons Learned from Competition Barbecue. And uh, in there, I've just put in uh, some, some tips and advice and bits and pieces that I've picked up over the last couple of years in competition barbecue. And I've just uh, compiled it all together, wrapped it up nicely and put it out there for, for anybody that wants to uh, have a read. Oh, that, that's awesome indeed, especially if they're, they're looking to create that better barbecue. And that's something that I think every guy and gal out there that loves grilling, that loves to go out there, whether it's on a hot summer day or whether it's like right now in the fall with American football season or wherever you're at in Europe, in Mexico, you know, wherever, everybody seems to love a good grilling, even in the beautiful country of Australia as well, of course, from what you're telling me. So it's definitely a great pleasure indeed to be able to have that opportunity to put those beautiful, gorgeous meats on the grill and, and hear that sizzling and smell that, that, beautiful beautiful aroma and and oh my gosh i'm making myself hungry but anyways uh <laughs> you you said you've placed very high in in almost all the categories in, in fact you all the categories especially chicken but what are your favorite recipes because i looked through your blog uh, and i found everything from from how you you know you're talking about bacon to to obviously how you're looking for to everything from sponsorships to the better smokers to right woods and whatnot but when it comes to recipes what do you seem to trend towards as far as maybe preparing for that competition is there a certain type of thing that you like to go to as as something that is a mainstay of your barbecue grilling my personal favorite, I guess I'd have to say, would be uh, beef ribs. So um, we're quite a beef-based country here in Australia. 
and uh, we're quite quite similar to Texas in that regard. We have a lot of, uh, I, I think Texans do very well over here in Australia. Um, and uh, yeah, for for me, it's got to be the uh, the beef rib. If you're looking at, at at getting into competition barbecue, they are probably the most easygoing, most forgiving cut that you're going to find out there. It's 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 pretty hard to uh, to mess up a beef rib. And that's what I wanted to ask you as far as a differentiating factor between beef ribs. And I know some people actually prefer pork ribs, but that's what I wanted to really get into. And what is the major differences about cooking a beef rib as opposed to a slab of pork ribs? You said it's actually a lot more forgiving, but is there any other factors that weigh the beef ribs in its favor? One of the things that I love about beef ribs is that they're basically set and forget. So I like to get my smoker up to 275 Fahrenheit. And uh, I actually cook everything at that temperature at, at competitions. There are some people that, you know, they'll lower the temperatures for this one and that one. And I'm, I'm a bit lower maintenance than that. I like to just set it at 275 and then adapt my cooking methods to that temperature. So I get my smoker to 275. I season up my beef ribs and I stick them in there at 275. And then I leave them alone until the internal temperature is 203. And I just find all you have to do is leave them alone and they just come out mint every time. So that makes it much easier than pork ribs if you're doing pork ribs the most the most common way is the three two one method and in america you get much larger pork ribs they're they're physically a much larger beast at the time that they're uh, that they're killed and processed and so the three two one method that was pioneered in the states works really well and so you've got your your pork ribs you season them up you uh put them on the smoker for three hours spritz them every now and again with some uh I like to use a 50-50 mix of apple cider, vinegar, and uh, apple juice. And, uh, and then at the three-hour mark, um, you put a bit of honey butter and, and uh, face down on some aluminium foil in the smoker for another two hours. And then after two hours, you unwrap them, glaze them with your favorite barbecue sauce, and put them back in the smoker for a final hour. So there's quite a lot of, um, I don't want to say messing about, because um, there's a lot involved in, in getting some, uh, some really tasty pork ribs. If you're busy, if you're doing several things at once, if you're getting ready to, you know, have people around for a party or something, I just love the beef ribs, mate. You just season them up, throw them in, forget about them for ten hours till they're done, and they and they just come out like butter. Now, I want to ask you as well. When you were talking, you, you obviously hinted at, at the three, two, one, which actually I've I've actually tried to do in process, but not as well, obviously, as you have in the past before. But also when you're talking about sauces that you mentioned, that the combination using vinegar and whatnot, but also a, what are good rubs that you seem to want to go to when you're talking about ribs? Because I know rubs are obviously a great part of grilling and barbecuing ribs as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And what you'll find is that a beef rub is going to be very different from, say, a pork rub. So pork goes very well with a sweet rub. So you're going to want something with a lot of brown sugar in it. Um, some of the some of the uh, herbs and spices that lend themselves to a sweeter profile, whereas uh, beef, for example, in in Texas, say they tend to just do it with salt and pepper. So I think just about the most complex beef rub you're going to find, pretty much, is uh, is, is going to be salt, pepper, garlic, onion, and sometimes people even throw in a bit of coffee. Uh, I noticed once uh, that use a particular rub such as that, even if it differentiates just a little bit, you can taste it indeed when it comes out. And and uh, definitely, especially, I, I agree with you, beef ribs, 
are definitely for me a little bit preferential to pork but you know when it's cooked right it you know and it's on the plate there you know, it you know you can taste it you can feel it and definitely either a good sauce or good rub makes for for definitely good barbecue there once again that's the smoking hot confessions podcast it is now available season one is available on apple podcasts stitcher player.fm overcast.fm and libsyn and well season two is coming right up and i'll tell you what definitely uh be some great listening while we're uh cooking and grilling some some great ingredients indeed and also as well if you really want an extensive look at competition barbecuing and exactly breaking down the different components, the different facets that you might need to know about or want to know about, including some great recipes to check out. You want to check out smokinghotconfessions.com. It's a great read, and it's also some great articles in there and great blogs from you on how to become a better grill master indeed. Well, Ben, it's been truly a pleasure having you on the show, uh, and I just cannot thank you enough. And I'll tell you what, Definitely want you to come back on the podcast to tell us again exactly the best ways to build that better barbecue. Anytime, my friend. Thank you. And as always, we appreciate you being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films in 2017. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Box Art arrives this year, just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. And we're back with the program. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. We're going to recap week three in the NFL, some of the highs and some of the lows. But I'll tell you what, there is no better person to do it than my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend among all fantasy football pundits. And I'm going to call you a fantasy football pundit. Per se, there you go. <laughs> As you put on a business card, I'm a fantasy football pundit. <laughs> but uh, again, we just truly appreciate it. As always, him coming on the broadcast, it's Tyler Baker of the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm well, my friend, and I would much rather consider myself a student. We're always learning. Football is it's always different. I always think of the game of football like the football itself when it hits the ground. When the football hits the ground, you don't know which way it's going to go. And every single week in the NFL, it is something new. We're learning something new. And uh, this week was certainly no exception. But Pundit works better on business sure. cards. <laughs> it's way better on the business card. <laughs> there you go, indeed. Well, it was another great week in the NFL. Uh, yeah. A lot more controversial than I, I would have imagined yes. going into it. But the, you know that aside, there are some great things out there for fantasy owners. And the first thing I want to touch on mm-hmm. is something that I'm seeing as a trend in the so far this season with one certain team called the Minnesota Vikings. And the reason why I'm saying uh, the Minnesota Vikings is is because today 
Case Keenum had a, just a truly tremendous day, plus the entire offense as a whole, big scoring games for both the running back position, the wide receiver position, and the quarterback position. Now, before we get into say, oh, yes, Case Keenum is great, what happened to him on the Rams and, and his history before, mm-hmm. I think it's more of a measure of the actual offense of itself and the offensive coordinator should be more thanked and the head coaching should be more uh, you know, in tune as far as with the with the kudos and whatnot, because if both Sam Bradford and Case Keenum light defenses up like this when their past history suggests that they wouldn't, mm-hmm. that tells me something's going on there for fantasy owners that need to start thinking about looking sure. at Minnesota Vikings for their fantasy roster. Well, what it tells you is that this is a good team. And they were a good team last year, but injuries just uh, stifled that offense with all of the injuries on the offensive line and even some injuries on the defense last year. Well, they're healthy and they have a guy named Delvin Cook. And uh, he was kind of a missing piece that now that he's in that offense, Adam Thielen has really come on and has presented himself as a real viable option in that offense. So what you have is you have a good team. You have a solid defense that can shut a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers down. That is not easy to do. The Buccaneers have a lot of ways that they can move the ball. And that defense is good. And today we saw that that offense, even without Sam Bradford, is good. So, I, I just think it's that scheme, whatever they're sure. running and how they're portraying it as far as a, a very offensive-oriented team. And I just think that scheme of theirs that they have right now, defenses are having a hard time figuring it out. And a lot of people wrote the Vikings off because Sam Bradford wasn't going to be there. And normally you have the quarterback. That's kind of the, the stability to an offense. Well, they're running the ball very well. And when you can run the ball, well, you can do a lot of things down the field. Play action creates a lot of opportunities down the field and they have a really good running game. Now they have a quarterback that is getting it done. I mean, 369 yards and three touchdowns. He didn't take a single sack, no turnovers. That's, that's huge. What are some of the other things that stuck out to you this weekend? I know Kirk Cousins was a big benefit to me this weekend, but what are some of the other players that stuck out to you as far as for both? Well, let's just start off with the good side first and those players that really people need to be aware of for future changes in roster makeovers. Well, I haven't had a chance to watch all of the games yet, but I will tell you that there's only two undefeated teams in the NFL right now, the Atlanta Falcons and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs have Kareem Hunt, and he is so fast. When he gets the ball, he is such a danger. And with the Atlanta Falcons, they have have so many weapons on that team. They're 3-0, and they are definitely a team to be reckoned with in the the NFC. As far as surprises, Chris Thompson just keeps getting it done in Washington. Very good running back. He's super fast, and they really use him in the passing game and in the running game. In Cincinnati, Joe Mixon, after the change of offensive coordinator, Joe Mixon is finally getting the ball now. The stud- Well, this is something that you called as well. The coaching staff in Cincinnati, they want to keep their jobs. And they have a couple of rookies. John Ross is, is the first-round rookie wide receiver. He couldn't play today because of injury. I expect when he comes back, he's going to get the ball too. But they need to keep their jobs. And when you watch this running game, Joe Mixon is the best running back that they have. Giovanni Bernard certainly knows the offense better. And probably from a pass-catching point of view, he's probably a little bit better than, than a Mixon. But Mixon is a very good running back. And when you watch this team play, you can 
can tell who the best running back on the field is. And the coaching staff understands that, and they're going to have to get him involved if they want to keep their jobs. The offensive coordinator's already been fired. If the rest of them have any chance of keeping their jobs, they are going to have to get that rookie involved. Another name that you also pointed out before in our conversations last week was Chris Carson. How did Chris Carson do? Even though Seattle didn't fare so well overall and the record-wise, they actually showed some promising signs with Carson, I imagine. They did. That offense was actually functioning today. And that's something that we really haven't seen. That offensive line is bad and they're trying to make adjustments. They're trying to get past that. And part of that, especially from a pass rush point of view is, is having a decent running game. And Chris Carson, while his numbers weren't great, he has proven that he has to keep defenses a little bit honest and that they can't just rush everybody at the passer because Chris Carson is fast enough that, that he can gain yardage. And he has proven to be so much better than Thomas Rawls or Eddie Lacy or anybody else in that backfield. CJ Procise is still a good running back, but he's not going to do the things between the tackles that Chris Carson can do. And something else that I saw in that early morning game, if you live on the West Coast, you had to get up at 6.30 in the morning <laughs> to watch Baltimore and Jacksonville play. But one thing that I noticed is that a former Seahawk, Alex Collins in Baltimore, looked so much better running the ball than Terrence West did. Alex Collins looks a lot faster. It looks like he deals with contact better. So that's somebody going into next week that may be a bigger part of the game plan than Terrence West was this, this week. Oh, that's very sound indeed, especially coming over that long flight from England yeah. as far as it's concerned. That's always something to consider there as well. Now, we always we talked about the good. We talked about the good indeed. But now we got to talk a little bit about the players who didn't quite oh. measure up to what had been expected and what maybe early on people should start thinking about doing when, and when it comes to their, their fantasy rosters with some of those players that didn't perform up to standards this weekend. There were quite a few. There were, there were a couple of offenses that just could not get going. And one of those was the Miami Dolphins. That entire offense was stifled until the fourth quarter. Even the uh, New York Philadelphia game, both of those offenses were just sputtering along until the fourth quarter. But you have to be concerned about the LA Chargers. Philip Rivers threw four interceptions today. Not all of them I'm going to blame on him, but that's another offense that you expected more out of. But Miami scoring one touchdown today and getting beat by the Jets. Now, in my podcast last week, I said that the Jets are not quite as bad as everybody thought but I didn't think that they were good enough to beat the Dolphins in a divisional matchup, and they did. So you have to be a little bit concerned. I haven't watched that game yet. I'm going to go back and look at the film and try to figure out what was going on there. But uh, Miami at this point is pretty concerning. Yeah, tell me about it because I have JHI on my, on my roster, and you know knee issues are, are very much a concern with him as we've discussed before. So it definitely, for fantasy owners, both him and Jay Cutler have to be of great concern as far as whether or not to keep them as starters at this it's point. It's one time. week. It's, it's, it's one week. Again, I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at the game film and I'm going to try and see if I can figure out exactly what was going on there. I mean, one week is not everything. It's a grind. 
And this offense, I'm pretty sure, is going to figure out what's going on. Remember that this is not the quarterback that they started the the uh, year with. This is Jay Cutler. They brought him in after there was a preseason injury. So they're probably still figuring each other out as far as and, and, and where Jay Cutler is familiar with the offense, he's probably not as familiar with his teammates. So again, I'm going to go look at the film and see if I can try to figure out what was going on there, but it was just one week. You don't need to go drop these guys, but there's certainly some concern. Definitely. Indeed. Any last thoughts uh, on week three in the NFL before we go ahead and make sure everybody knows about all the great things that you do for your fantasy owners out there? Just buckle up for the ride <laughs> because this week Houston almost beat New England. <laughs> Indianapolis won a game. There was uh, Chicago beat Pittsburgh. Buffalo beat Denver. So there were some things that happened this week that you just kind of scratch your head. But this evening and all day tomorrow, I'm going to be watching game film, trying to figure it out because in watching the game film, the stats are one thing, but the context to the stats in my opinion, are far more important. So that's what I'm going to be doing tomorrow is watching these games, trying to see what is really happening and so that we can be best educated to make the decisions for next week. All of his thoughts are going to be laid out on his podcast on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday on the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. And you can catch it on Libsyn, of course, on Apple Podcasts, Overcast.fm and Player.fm. And also, make sure you check out all the great information that he has on his Facebook group, Fantasy Football Pater Podcast on Facebook. He's got a group there. You just go ahead, you you join up, and you go ahead. No charge, obviously. It's oh, all no, free. No, no. But the, the, the wisdom and, and voice that, that he has, you can ask him anything you want when it comes to fantasy football. He answers it all, and he does so, and make sure – he does so with, with the best of knowledge and the best of preparation indeed because as as he said before, he studies all the game film so he knows what's going down by the middle of the week and the end of the week as, as it gears towards next Sunday's game. So I'll tell you what, if you haven't gotten on board with the Fantasy Football Pater podcast, it is imperative that you do so as a fantasy owner today. And uh, anything, last thoughts before we head on out? I'm happy to help people. It's all about making informed decisions and anybody that that wants to put forth an effort, whether to listen to the podcast or just joining the Facebook group. If you have the inclination to be better at fantasy football, I can help you do that. That's Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. It's now available again, like I said, on Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, Overcast, and Player.fm, and also his great Facebook group, Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. Tyler, as always, I truly appreciate you being part of the program, and I look forward to talking with you again at the end of this week about week four in the NFL. Thank you so much. I love being on your show. I love listening to your show. I love all the cool stuff you guys talk about. Thank you for letting me know what's going on with all these games and movies. I need to know this stuff. And sometimes I get too far in my cave of fantasy football that I don't peek out too much, and your show certainly helps me keep in touch with what's going on. Thank you. Indeed. All right. Again, that's Tyler Baker for the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast, wrapping up week three in the NFL. Tyler, as always, it's great to have you on the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com.
And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos show. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. Again, if you truly like what, what we're serving out right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, you can always check out our show, the Pop Culture Cosmos show. And then also as well, the PCC Multiverse, which is available on the podcast radio network every Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Or if you just check out the Pop Culture Cosmos channel, it's always available to download on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Ace Podcast Network, Overcast.fm, Player.fm, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Podcast.com, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangent Bound Network, the Gunny Geek Network, Cast Crunch, Social Podcasts, and PopCultureCosmos.wordpress.com. I know you got a lot of great things going down this week on Humanica Media. Check out all the great stuff on Humanica Media's channels, including YouTube, including Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Podcast.com, and so many other channels. Josh, what's coming this week at your site known as Humanica Media? There is a new episode of What About This is coming at you. One of the guys is leaving, so we have a special goodbye episode for him. There should be a new uh, interview from the guys at Super BS sometime this week, as well as a new episode of Inside Sports and the usual Attack of the Humanicate on Tuesday night. So check it out. Definitely indeed. That's 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. Well, we want to thank... Ben Arnaud from the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. We also want to thank Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. And, of course, our good friend Rob McCallum from Rob McCallum Films. Check out all the great things that he's doing at robmccallumfilms.com, all of his projects that are coming out, or Rob McCallum Films on Facebook. And then also all the great things he's doing with Tiny Titan Studios, including Dash Quest. And, of course, for $9.99 on Steam and also as well free to play on mobile it's the great game tiny rails definitely is awesome to have rob as part of the podcast as well so before we head on out josh i want to ask you real quick we did a fall gaming preview recently i think we covered a lot of ground there on games that we were interested in also rob and shared his thoughts on some great games that he was interested in as well but none of us covered a game that's coming out during the holiday season it's Call of Duty's latest yearly entry, but they're going to go back to where they're very familiar, and they're going back to World War II as Call of Duty WW2 comes out to consoles and PC later this year. So I ask you, I know you're not the greatest fan in the world of Call of Duty, but this didn't seem to connect as far as with any one of us as far as a major game to look forward to this holiday season. Why do you think that is? And do you think Call of Duty has more than lost its edge as a premier title in the gaming world? So we were at E3, me and you, and we saw Call of Duty. It looked okay. It, it wasn't anything that's worth getting super stoked about. It, it, it looks okay. It looks fun. But I think that there's so many better games coming out this holiday season that Call of Duty, you know, as far as my interest in the game goes, is kind of taking a way, way backseat to everything else. So you have new Assassin's Creed, new Mario, Gran Turismo, Forza. There's still, you know, you got South Park. There's so many great games coming out that Call of Duty is, while it, I do eventually want to play it, I just, it's not interesting enough for me to like even say I'm excited about it right now because I'm more excited about everything else coming out. It's definitely a, a very telling sign indeed of 
Call of Duty is not near or at the top of your list as far as games to talk about this holiday season. But I think the hardcore audience, the I don't want to say the esports audience or whatnot, they've kind of moved on to different things. Overwatch is now very big, and there's so many other games that are out there that are PUBG, obviously, is very, very hot right now. So I think there's a lot of other games that are taking away attention from a game like Call of Duty. So it shrinks that player base just a little bit more. And with Battlefront 2 also coming out around that time, that makes things even more interesting from a first-person shooter's perspective as well. So I don't know. It will be still hitting at or near the top of the charts when it comes out. And will still do... I believe overall 10 plus million, but the days of Call of Duty dominating the airspace left and right, I think those days, at least for now, are gone. It's been out for so long, and people, even now, like, people are going, like, you know, when Ghost came out, people played it for a bit, and, like, a lot of people just keep going back to either Black Ops or Modern Warfare, so I don't think that pushing a new game out every year is going to even if they revamp it by trying to go back to World War II, I don't think that it's going to be a game changer of any kind. It's just another entry in a blown out franchise. And, you know, we'll, we'll just we'll have to wait and see like what, what happens with it. I, it, it looks okay. It looks cool. It's just, I'm not excited about playing it. And I think that if they really want to change our minds about something, they need to show us something that we haven't seen. Or bring the demand back for the game. By well, do you think actually going back to World War II was a good move? Or do you see it as something that they're just copycatting what EA did with its successful return to an older era when it returned to World War One and actually sold very well for the company this past year? You know, that's a, that's a cool decision. And I know they, were, they, they clearly have been paying attention to what the fans want because like, you and I, you know, we played Call of Duty 2, Call of Duty 1. We obviously, uh, you know, have a soft spot in our hearts for those games. And they've been paying attention to what, you know, people like us have been saying. And even gamers are saying, you know, we're tired of the futuristic setting. We're tired of the Black Ops type thing. Bring us back to what made the franchise so good. And I think that this is a good move on their part. But it's just a bad year to be putting it out because there's so many other things to be excited about. PUBG is like that's that's a big thing, especially if it comes to Xbox. Like nobody's gonna want to play Call of Duty if that comes to Xbox. It's just it's a bad time to be putting it out. You're clinging to a dying market. I do think that it would be a great idea to put this new Call of Duty on the Nintendo Switch. That could be fun, but I don't see it selling the big amounts that Activision is probably hoping it will. It goes back to what we were talking about with Madden, because as you see, you know, they're mad. If it's still a name in this in this gaming industry, it's still by its name will still sell quite a bit. It's definitely a, a wait and see on it. But I think the hardcore gamer, as far as Call of Duty being in their palette, as far as what they would need to play or what they want to play on a regular basis, those days are going to be numbered because there's Destiny 2 out there as well, taking a lot of the market space that just came out. So with Overwatch, Destiny 2, and also PUBG really, really raking in the, the players and whatnot, it's going to be hard for anything else to crack the mustard right now. I see Battlefront 2 doing it because I see some big things as far as improvement and the overall enjoyment of that game. I don't think the player base will die out as fast as it did with the original Battlefront. So we'll have to wait and see what 
what's being offered uh, with Call of Duty outside of just a standard game. Hopefully, it's a great campaign, and hopefully, as well, zombies and a whole other a lot of great things will be added as well that'll make Call of Duty really fun to play again. What are your thoughts on the Call of Duty series? Do you still have a love and a affinity to play Call of Duty in the newest iteration year after year? Did you agree with the decision to go back to World War II so soon after Electronic Arts did something similar? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, game source, and also as well, Humanican Media on Facebook and Twitter. It's going to be an interesting week. Oh, excited. Blade Runner 2049. But we'll talk about that more in this Friday's episode of the PCC Multiverse. Plus, we've got week four in the NFL. We're going to preview it with our good friend Tyler Baker. And also as well, Ben Arnault is coming back from Smoking Hot Confessions to talk a little bit about more barbecuing. It's making me so hungry now. I think I got to go raid the fridge. But And I think also Rob McCallum's going to join in as well as far as share his thoughts on the latest Cosmic Crossfire. So for Josh Peterson, this is one hungry Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with the show. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And it's that time again. It's time for some more a pop talk. So that's right. Some pop talk with Rob Cosmic McCallum. Crossfire. Cosmic Crossfire, I thought. Cosmic Crossfire. I like pop talk better. Yeah, that's the problem. I'll tell you what. I'll give you a few more minutes to wake up and then you can see. See where we're at. Pop talk. <laughs> All right, cosmic round table. Doesn't have the same ring to cosmic it. Cosmic crossfire. Cosmic crossfire, indeed. Fair enough. All right. All right. So I'm here with once again my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend. He is the director of Nintendo Quest. Sorry, didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Dramatic pause. Build build the suspense. I know, I know. Tell me about it. But that's, you know, I had to do it because of the noises and all that. It's Rob McCallum, my good friend. He's also 
announced a little side project, I think, uh, that just came up recently that he didn't tell me any forewarning about. So I'm kind of, you know, I kind of hurt about what's going on. So <laughs> but it's always uh -huh. great to have you back on the program, my friend. Yeah, good to be here. Got lots of uh, news topics to cover today. And uh, uh, just, yeah, a few other things going on in the old uh, land of my career, I suppose. Uh, and I remember, I remember a time. It seemed like every other week, or almost virtually every week, there would be something new in Rob's life that would be changing, or he'd be announcing, and you know, popping up with this announcement, this announcement, this announcement, this announcement. He he did make a major announcement this week as far as a new project that he's undergoing, but uh, still, it, it, I got to tell you, man, you got to slow down, man. You got to say when is when, man. You got so much going I have on. Slow down, I. This is the first kind of project that I've announced in any capacity since uh, Power of Grayskull way back in January of 2016. All right, fair enough. But still, it seems like you're, you're juggling so much. Well, maybe box art, I guess, was right around the same time. There is definitely lots of juggling. But, you know, this, it's about picking quality, not quantity. So. Fair enough, indeed. Fair enough, indeed. So we're going to have more of the Cosmic Crossfire right now with Rob McCallum taking the reins and, well, picking out pop culture subjects that he likes right now that that wants us to share and discuss on today's program. So, Rob, have at it, my friend. What have we got on the docket for today? Got a handful of news items. Uh, we're recording a little bit later than we usually do, so there's a little bit more to pick from in the news. And uh, I'm sure you and Josh may have covered some of these in some capacities. Uh, whether our viewers have had a chance to listen to them, I don't know, but definitely check it out on any of the podcast networks that we're on or iTunes. Or if you're listening to us on one of those, there is bonus material always available on iTunes. Let's get to the first item, and that is a place that helped define me growing up, that spoke to legions of people my age and others, will no longer exist in the coming weeks and days and years as they begin to liquidate their their stock and plan for chapter 11 and that is one of the biggest toy chains toy store chains in the world toys r us i don't want to grow up i'm a toys r us kid there's I a million toys, and toys r us and this is what i did i'm yes. bankrupt no one's buying they don't even visit anymore well, We're going to have to shut everything and close down our store. There you go. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> we did talk about it on the show recently um, as far as the impending doom and death that is Toys R Us. That's uh, just very sad to see. I think both you and I are – it's one of those sad reminders of maybe that we're getting older, that, that uh, things are changing in our world and evolving, and sometimes – you, you're part of things that, that in your life that, that don't evolve and change with it. Um, I actually was a general manager one time for a company known as Montgomery Ward. It didn't evolve. It didn't change. And unfortunately, because it didn't, uh, my job as a GM there was short-lived because it closed down and it didn't get to evolve with the times. And Well, you know, I, uh, I had this talk with uh, Morgan Lander. Uh, the front woman of Kitty. Uh, recently, we were not necessarily talking about Toys R Us, but we were talking about related like subjects, and she eloquently put, this is kind of the curse of living. 
not everything gets to stay on. Things get taken away from you. Things change and they fall to the wayside and you continue going on. So businesses are obviously a huge victim of that. Uh, but the question same here with, with as I've said before as well on the show with, with Josh, I, I also ran great game crazy. So, you know, and that bit the dust because of its, you know, parent uh, company, Hollywood video bit the dust along with its main competitor, blockbuster video along with it. It's just, just the way, you know, if you don't evolve, you lose correct. I, I guess. Yeah. I mean, uh, you like to think that the traditional way of doing something, uh, will always stay in the test of time, but I guess buying habits in that bottom line and those numbers are are, are going to be the ultimate uh, dictating factor. I think it's why you see a rise in things like free-to-play gaming, which I could go on and on about, like we talked about on our last episode when we talked about uh, piracy and movies and you know how to get content and you know the value of that kind of stuff with cord cutting and and where people have to go and what you know what's a fair price for something like HBO. But in the same realm, you know, what is the value of going into a store today, be it Toys R Us or be it Walmart or wherever? What is the value of going into these buildings? And it is, is it worth additional cost to have that merch on the shelf? Or should everything be online? Should everything be clicked to deliver? What do you think? Well, in our day and age, uh, with with easier is better when it's taught to us that that it's so easy to get anything that you want with like you said virtual click of the button uh, to the individuals that are out there maybe that are younger or maybe even at, that are in our age whatnot maybe it's just something that is now an accepted way of life of just going to an amazon a walmart.com a target.com or what have you ebay or, or what have you and just ordering straight from there and not even worrying about you know going and having that experience of touching of feeling of of experiencing anything that's out there i know josh uh as a younger member of the audience also reflected his uh personal feelings of loss because he did enjoy that experience of going out and physically touching and physically seeing and also seeing what else is there in those stores that that he might be interested in but that art and that experience seems to be lost on consumers our age and and even younger and it looks like going forward you will you will see this uh, for a lot out of a lot of brick and mortar industries uh, and a lot of brick and mortar retailers excuse me like for instance, GameStop has, has struggled for, for a long time now to try and continually find itself viable in today's age. Uh, also as well, Best Buy and so many others that have, you know, maybe with the push either which way in the wrong direction could follow in the same path as Toys R Us as well. But what do you think the value of going to a store today is? We're seeing more and more closures. We're seeing more and more emphasis on online sales. Amazon is now dwarfed Walmart in terms of uh, online retail. Sites like PayPal and eBay are still doing incredible numbers. You know, online commerce has, has never been better. It almost looks like it's continuing, continuing to increase and go up. What is the value of going into a store today? Obviously, whatever it is, it's decreased over the course of time and uh, becomes less. Well, and less. that's why I'm asking today, like just today in our present day and age, not 10 years ago, not five years ago, 
today? What is the value of going into a store? Obviously, it's not very much to a lot of people because, like you said, it's now becoming so much easier to buy and purchase and see things directly from a click of the button on your smartphone or your computer that you don't really have to. People are, are really ready to give up those experiences. Uh, I, I mentioned before with Josh that a lot of retailers over the course of years always have played a, a deadly game. Oh, and what my experience in retail is that a lot of these retail entities have played this game where they bank so much on two to two and a half months out of the year during the Christmas and holiday shopping season that they literally will put everything that they can into it so they can get so much out of it. So it feeds the rest of the nine and a half, 10 months of the year for their entire you know, livelihood. So uh, to see this happen to someone at, at, like Toys R Us, it shows you that the experience of people going out and buying uh, in current today's current value is there's not much to it because people are willing to give up all that experience and all that shopping. And they'll tell you, oh, I don't want to deal with the headache and the traffic and all that, you know, fight the crowds and whatnot, blah, 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 blah. Well, obviously that means that they do not value the experience of going out and and shopping for things as much as other people once did, you know, uh, you know, even even ten years ago, let's say. Well, there are certain things that you'll never be able to get online that require you to leave your house and go out there and partake. And these are essential services stuff like hospitals and, um, to lesser degrees, probably schools with the online learning community that there is. Um, banks, similar, have an online component, but I think we're always going to see physical presences of, of these things that are going to require people to go to. It's going to be a pretty bleak looking world if the only thing outside of our house is our workplace and institutions. Because we're seeing the commercial sector completely erode for the sake of convenience instead of service. You know, an in person service experience is being completely eliminated. And I think it's pretty sad. I wish people would go out and support small businesses, your local retailers that are trying to, you know, fight the good fight for like what you said, two and a half months of being in the black that make up for, you know, nine months of being in the red. So, um, well, we talk basically just a microcosm for everybody else. If it can happen to them, it can happen to anybody. Yeah, absolutely. And we've, we, you know, you and I both know retailers that are out there and we, we've on a personal level, that spend a, a good deal of their time, you know, in their stores, but they also go ahead and, and spend a great deal of their time and, and, you know, consideration taking care of a lot of online ordering as well. And we know how much, we know how valuable on a personal level that is to their business now. And it just seems to be a w way of life. A lot of people have, uh, are now almost taking for granted. Yeah, it's, it's pretty sad. And I'd like to see it kind of, turn around the other way. I don't pretend to understand the economics of running a retail business or an operation of that sort. I know how easy it is to do online things, but I don't always think easy is the best way to go uh, just because one can facilitate that. So um, the whole point to this discussion is really to support your local merchants out there so that you can have those experiences, so you can share those experiences and uh, you know not give in to the pressure of just clicking buttons and getting that pellet you know, deliver to your mouth because you push the right thing in the right order. Well, I've so. told, always told you and I've told other people that I truly, 
treasure going out into the shopping experience, especially obviously during the holiday shopping season of Black Friday, but also all year round. I've had no problems and, and still enjoy the experience of going out and physically touching and physically going out and buying things. Because I remember when I was a kid and my dad took me and my mom took me to the, to the stores and I just have those good memories of going to these retail locations, which obviously no longer exist in many cases that uh, I just have those fond memories and, and I'm hoping that my kids will be able to share those as well down the road. It wouldn't be a cosmic crossfire if we did not talk about Star Wars in some capacity. <laughs> okay. Um, there has been lots of little breadcrumbs about this Han Solo film that Ron Howard is now directing. And one of his recent Twitter posts was simply captioned spicy. And it seems that the Han Solo film is likely to feature the infamous Kessel Run. Yes. What are your thoughts on that before I go into a long tangent? Well, I'll make it short since you're going to have a long tangent. I think it's something that has to be a natural, although it doesn't sound like, you know, that. There has to be something beyond what has been described in the Star Wars lore. Um, you know, the Kessel Run, obviously the the game that uh, he, you know, with um, uh, obviously as far as winning the Millennium Falcon, and you know that's great and all that. And you'll get to see obviously see all that alluded to within the comments that Ron Howard has made, but. Hopefully, there will be substantially more to this movie than just what has been heard or, or you know, spoken about uh, so much in Star Wars lore. Well, this now is you... the problem. Like, are we just going to see pictures to stuff that we already know about that's organized in a nice, coherent screenwriting fashion and structure? I don't need to see the Castle Run. This is something and information I already know. I'm not challenging it. I don't need to see it take place. I accept it for what it is. He did it in 12 parsecs, whatever that means. Let me visualize what that is in my head. Let it remain a little undefined so that it's a little bit more magical. We've talked about this before. The more that you define in the Star Wars saga, the less mystery and magic does this thing hold. Less is more, people. We saw this the first time when it was Obi-Wan turning to Luke saying, I served with your father in the Clone Wars. Then we get the Clone Wars. Boy, did that really take out the, the magic of what Obi-Wan and Anakin were like when they were hanging out together. And what the Clone Wars were. We don't even know what that was at the time. It could have been anything. Were there clone Jedis? Were there clone, you know, something else out there? And then they had to start defining everything. And the more that they defined, the more that they got in trouble because the rules kind of got complicated and it lost that, mis uh, that, that mystery and that magic that makes Star Wars so intoxicating. Because they started grounding everything in these harsh definitions that were not easy to wrap your head around. They, they took out these absolutes that they, they said were there, there that we all just kind of bought into because that's all that mattered. We needed to know this so that we could understand the next thing. You start filling in those gaps the wrong way. You start caring less about it because you can't fall in love with it because everything is given to you. There's no processing of the imagination. Everything is served up. It's the pellets again. Here you go. I'm giving you exactly what you want, exactly what you want. I'm not making your imagination work to understand why this character is awesome. Han Solo's a bit of a rogue. He's, you know, he's a, he's a one-man show. Why? Here's his long list of, you know, things that he's known for. 
oh, what do they all mean? You know, and you start thinking about what it is and what the reputation of, of this guy that, that is bringing with them. You don't need to see it all to believe it. It takes away from why the character is so good. And this is the problem with the origin films. They start to over-defining why we love these characters when we love them already. If we love them already, why are you working so hard to make me love them more? Next thing don't. you'll see is Donald Glover, you know, and his maneuver at the Battle of Danab. Yeah, well, and that's just it, right? Like, again, we don't need to see more about Lan. And I keep going back to it. Give us something that isn't connected to the Skywalker saga. If you want me to care about something new in Star Wars, don't go back to the well and keep pumping the same water because it's going to taste like water and it's probably going to be tainted because you're digging way too deep. Digging way too deep on that. Uh, like I said, it's it's going to be something that, yes, we know this, yes, we know, we know this, but... That's the problem. It's not. It's not always playing and catering to the way Star Wars fans, really hardcore Star Wars fans, or even those very familiar with the lore, want to see because they want to see something outside. Because, like you said, they're already very familiar with it. They're catering to a much wider audience, and maybe they're they're not as familiar with those aspects of the Star Wars lore and universe. So. They're wanting to sprinkle that in to make it seem familiar, so it will drag everybody in who's who's you know either very familiar or even not so familiar with the franchise, and, and bring that familiarity. Oh yeah, I remember him talking about that in in Star Wars and and all that. So everybody's familiar with this. I you're not filling in the gaps for anybody because all you're going to do is make that moment later on in the other in the other films if they do get hooked with this one play less significantly. I like I said I, I I agree with you on that. They don't have to fill in all the gaps and, and make every dot all the I's and cross all the T's, but they plan on doing so anyways. So they plan on doing so anyways, and whether or not that's the right decision, I don't know. I mean this this particular movie has had its more than a share of trouble. I don't have the highest of hopes for it, um, which is pretty disappointing, and I haven't had that kind of. Uh, bad feeling about an upcoming Star Wars movie since, you know, since the 1990s. Sorry, Jay, but since the 1990s. Well, I mean, I guess the only consolation is we do get episode uh, eight this year, right? And then six months later, we get the Han Solo movie. So, And then uh, in 2019, we're going to be getting the actual episode number nine. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So, and uh, But... Will it still come out in May? It still looks like it's still going to, but I don't know. I kind of have a feeling they still may delay it. Something may happen in, in post-production that may cause it to be delayed. Uh, I was surprised that they haven't done that already because they've already done it with Episode Nine not coming out in May, and that's been pushed back to December. Yeah, we'll, we'll see because if it's going to come out in May, we would likely see a trailer for it with Episode Eight. So... Time will tell, and we're supposed to get the next episode eight trailer sometime in October. I'm heard I, I hear as well, so we will see how all that unfolds. Less is more. I get less interested in everything that's going on with these Star Wars spinoffs, and even episode eight and nine. And more... that's a shame because you know you've you've had and held an interest in the Star Wars franchise for so long. Yeah, and I'm not. <clears throat> I mean. I'm still going to go to them, so maybe they're winning anyways, but it's just, I don't know, I think it's lazy. I think they could be much more inventive than that. But it sounds more like, to you, it's an obligation than it is a choice. 
Uh, no, I just, I mean, as a filmmaker, I think it's kind of important to, to see these films, um, to, to be, you know, in the here and now and vernacular, even if it's what to avoid to do. And I just think it's a bad screenwriting choice. So sometimes you learn more from the films that don't work than the ones that do. I'm sure we'll find that out very soon in the near future. At least by the, if, by if the, the way, solo I, film is anything less to, to crow about. By the way, speaking of films that work, uh, Stephen King's It, which has you know, been storming the box office, I recently discovered, after seeing it last weekend, the first film I've seen in a very long time in the theater, that it was shot in several of the locations that Unearthly was shot in, which is pretty neat for everybody out there that is interested in, in my sci-fi uh, action-adventure horror movie, Unearthly, 99 cents on Vimeo, own it today. Check it out. Shot in the same places where it was shot. So those lovely gorges and forest settings and sceneries, same locations. What a coinky dink. I was like, man, that stuff looks really familiar. And sure enough, it was. It was. Um, Patreon raises $60 million in funding. For those that don't know what Patreon is, it is essentially like a subscription site for independent artists where you can subscribe for X number of dollars per month, which unlocks special bonuses for you, for you exclusively on a recurring monthly basis. Um, they hand out lots of money to artists. They take a very small percentage of the of the fees to keep the site going. <clears throat> I've been uh, I've had a Patreon page before. It was a really good experience. And now they just raised six sixty million dollars uh, to keep it going and expand it. The question, Gerald, is what is the status of crowdfunding today, and have we hit the bubble yet? Well, I think something else needs to be adapted as far as crowdfunding is concerned, because I think the uh, craze of, let's say, uh, Kickstarter, GoFundMe things of that nature has really hit, uh, I don't want to say I'll hit a wall, but I, I really think it has hit a ceiling per se, or it is very near to it because it seems like everyone that's out there has a GoFundMe, has a Kickstarter, has a pa- Patreon or Patreon, whatever you want to say, Patreon, and it has so many of these crowdfunding options. As a podcaster, I've been approached about it before. I've been asked to, to, to do a, a Patreon. I've tried, kind of tried to avoid it because I only the fact is that yes, it does show that you have support for your your whatever it is and passion that you want to pursue. But I don't know. I just I've just been kind of hesitant to do it. I'd like to see a, a little bit more correlation myself with a relationship with with uh, commercial entities uh, myself that that will hopefully help help our shows and our projects and whatnot go further. But I can see why people go and choose to do that if they really want to go ahead and support it. But I think we really have hit a wall when it comes to uh, crowdfunding because it's become so overpopulated, in my opinion. And it doesn't have the freshness now, the projects that are on Kickstarter. I get... um, I get press, uh, you know, stuff from some stuff from PR units and, and PR companies all the time. Uh, saying, hey, support this Kickstarter. Hey, there's a Kickstarter account. Hey, tell everybody about this Kickstarter. Uh, GoFundMe or Patreon or whatnot. And it just seems like uh, now it's just become oversaturated to the point where I think a lot of people are not going to fund in the future going forward projects that do deserve some love. Yeah, I think we're definitely approaching a bubble if we haven't hit it. And 
the ingredients that used to be components to a successful campaign um, are almost standard things that you have to do now to even kind of get noticed and kind of move the needle just a little bit. Which surprises um, me that you say that because you have proven to be quite successful within the Kickstarter realm. Yeah, I've been a part of enough projects either as uh, a creator or a collaborator and I've raised almost half a million dollars uh, across those projects and it's the you, there's so much more onus on what you have to do to bring to the table now as a creator before you launched than ever like there used to be two kinds of people people that needed a little bit of money to finish their project that was com almost completely done or people that were sitting on a couch pitching their idea and not a lot of people in the middle now you almost have to have most of your project done and it has to be really good or you have to have at least half of it done <clears throat> to, to kind of gain buyer confidence because there's just too much competition out there now and as much as you can pitch on a couch and, and maybe hit a wider audience because that thing that you're trying to do is a little less defined than seeing what the actual product is, there's no there's not enough excitement in it. People want to be wowed. They want to have instant gratification. They want it. They want to see it easy. They want to buy into who you are and what you've done, and uh, they want to see that track record where that money goes. And these are all hard things to do as somebody that's new. And when people that are new can't get into it, it gets harder. That bubble gets pushed for the same people that keep going back and back to the well to keep doing projects. And I'm one of those people. And you see how that space is tightening and tightening and closing and closing and uh it is no longer i think that oh well we could just do a kickstarter and, and raise money because you really have to do a lot more of the project uh work up front in order to even have a chance at before at, uh, at getting your funds work compared to before it was if you did work you would probably just raise more money and not just your goal so it's uh, it's a scary thing to be honest in terms of raising money as a creator because that option has almost disappeared by virtue of it existing. It definitely is. It, it, it's just now it seems like an oversaturated market. And for someone who has reached the heights of success with Kickstarter, it, it's it's very telling when, when you now say it's a lot harder to go ahead and execute those projects than it once did. It's not impossible. It just takes more and more dedication. And I consult with people all the time on a, on a freelance basis where they, you know, they book one or three or five different sessions with me. And I usually cap it at five because I don't want people to get in over their heads when they start realizing how much work there is. And every time they just, they don't get it or they, they just fail to see the amount of work that it takes now to, to make a difference to compared to even like three or four years ago. It, you have to be that good and your project has to be that unique and it just doesn't there so it surprises me that patreon is raising 60 million dollars or has and i want to see where they're going to go with that and what they plan to do uh in order to expand their their fan base or their their user base both in terms of creators and uh i guess you can call it just patrons um to, to their service. It'll be really interesting to see how they want to roll that out. Uh, I, for one, am very interested in, in perfecting the Patreon model. I have a few ideas to take advantage of it, um, but not every idea works for something that's a recurring purchase that requires you to constantly create new things. So got a couple different ideas, and we'll see what I can kind of churn out for that. 
Well, that's good. That's definitely looking forward to it. But yeah, because like I said, it's uh, definitely a harder market than what you experienced even with you know projects like Nintendo Quest and, and whatnot. So it's definitely a, a different evolving and changing market for you, especially in the world of crowdfunding indeed. Here's a topic that everybody seems to be talking about with the release of the film Mother, and that is Aronofsky's F Cinema Score. Now, Gerald, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this. You and Josh must have talked about this already. Uh, we actually talked about it off camera. We wanted to talk to see about to see if there was a larger issue with uh, Jennifer Lawrence's career as far as you seeing a, a projects that she's picking that are not exactly turning out to be the best in fruition. Although, like I said, she still is a name actress, but is her shine from the Hunger Games completely wearing off? I hope not, because I think she's an extremely talented actress, uh, but there are some signs that, well, maybe a lot of people are, are giving her, her feedback for maybe some of her opinions or some of the things she said in public, or just basically they they don't see her projects being worth the time. Because in the days and ages where a name could sell a movie by itself back in the days of the 90s where even a Stallone and a Schwarzenegger, for example, or an Eastwood could sell a, a basically a movie by themselves without even having a, a coherent plot or a, a really great story. These days and ages, people with you know the advent of DVD and streaming and all that, they don't need to go out to the box office as what was re as what we've reported in August being the worst box office month in 10 years that a lot of people now want to see more out of it and this movie got actually garnered you know pretty good pretty solid critical ratings on both rotten tomatoes and also metacritic they were showing you know a pretty good uh critical rating for as far as overall but to see that f uh, cinema score tells me that it's just more like a i think a position that they have most likely against her and the project she's choosing or maybe the opinion she's having. Well, I think the F Cinema score definitely has to do with the type of film that, that it is. And I've talked to a few people, including our mutual friend, Mr. Glenn Stanway, who is not a big fan of it. Um, and Aronofsky has, has come out and actually released a quote um, talking about the F Cinema score. And, and this is the part I think that's interesting. Uh, for what it's worth, I think Jennifer Lawrence is just ex exercising some... Uh, actor freedom after being tied up in a massive franchise like Hunger Games, being tied up in a franchise like X-Men. I think she does not want to necessarily just be part of that machine that makes money, that she actually wants to do something that's challenging, and she's earned the right, especially after you know, I, I her performance like, like American Hustle or, or other things that are a little bit lower but a little bit more interesting to an actor. And I, and I don't disagree with that aspect either. So I think she she's you know got the right to go ahead and spread those wings. And uh, Darren Aronofsky, you know, obviously he has a great deal of talent, and this movie actually on a critical basis did fairly well. And yeah, I, I love the wrestler. I think that's one of uh, the you know yep. the best movies that's come out within the past fifteen years. But to see uh, his talent and her talent uh, being I guess treat like this maybe speaks of a, a movie that didn't connect well with audiences because obviously the movie itself had some different things to say than maybe what the marketing spoke of as well. Okay. So let me read this quote so that everybody can kind of get on the same page. And first of all, an F cinema score for everybody that doesn't know is the lowest kind of 
graded score that you can get, especially when it's part of test screenings. So people were in the test screenings. So they got an F cinema score. Uh, Aronofsky embraces it. Here's the full quote. What's interesting about that is, like, if you walk out of the movie, you're not going to give – how are you not going to give it an F? It's a punch. It's a total punch. And I realized that we were excited by that. We wanted to make it a punk movie and come at you. And the reason I wanted, uh, wanted to come is because I was very sad and had a lot of anguish, and I wanted to express it. Filmmaking is such a hard journey. People are constantly saying no to you. And I wake up, and to wake up every morning and get out of bed to face all those no's, you have to be willing to really believe in something. And that's what I look for in my collaborators, and that's what I pitched the actors. I said, look, this isn't going to be a popularity contest. We're basically holding up a mirror to what's going on. All of us are doing this. But that final chapter hasn't been written, and hopefully things can change. And to go back, the fact is it's going down right now, and things are really falling apart in a way that's really scary. So by his own admission, this is a film that's designed to make you feel like crap and wake you up because that's what's going on in the world, according to him. The question I have for you, Gerald, what is the responsibility of a filmmaker? Is it to make a statement about what's going on in the world? Is it to have mindless entertainment? Like, what is the responsibility of a filmmaker? And at what point can this particular director ever get off the hook from not representing what's going on in reality if he feels so strong about this now? How come he hasn't done this before and will he only continue to do this going forward? Well, you said it, you know, you're saying it yourself because, you know, as a filmmaker yourself, you you realize the importance and the love and the passion that you have when you're creating that film. And, uh, well, to give you an example, I was talking about how well it is done critically. I, the actual movie, the actual movie itself, according to critics about those who actually watch movies and get paid to do it and get paid to comment on it for a living, that they, you know, a lot of... In, case of, of, of you know some of these critics they go to school they train whatnot what have you that actually have given as a combined collective effort a better score with mother than they have it yet it garnered an a cinema score as opposed to what you know mother is doing and obviously that will reflect in the final box office numbers so i it just it tells me that there is something deeper going on whether they just Fans just went there and just did not want to go ahead and and understand what the film is all about. Uh, it, it just there's just some type of disconnect to me as far as in this presentation of this particular movie. But I think there's just it just seems to be pointing to something a little bit deeper uh, with audiences that just cho chose to really not want to enjoy this film because I cannot I, if I'm going to watch it I'm going to rent it probably when it comes out on home video just to see if it truly is a film that, that I just cannot get. I got to be honest. I think uh, in this case, Aronofsky is like reaching way beyond the carrot that's just dangling in front of him. Usually, no matter what you try to do, your, your, you know, your, your subconscious is affected by what's going on in the world events. So as you are being creative, that is feeding you when you start making decisions. Uh, ergo, every time you make a film, it is reflective of that time. It is reflective of the society that you are in. And it will always be a commentary on what's going on in the world. Always. Let alone with a film that is heavily uh, played for allegory like this one is. So I don't think that you necessarily 
have to be so literal to make to punch people in the face and just say that's what you have to do because it's your responsibility as a filmmaker to wake people up. That's going to always be there, and you might be wasting your time because in six months from now, that punch to the face is going to feel like just a flick to the ear because world events might change and render what you're saying, uh, you know, invisible. To be honest, like you're trying way too hard, I think, to to make the the kind of points that that matter on a universal level that will resonate far longer you bring up the wrestler now that's a story that i think we can always look at about someone's self-worth are they going to give up are they not going to give up at what point should they call it quits at what point is passion <clears throat> lose its importance and that resonates more today than what he's trying to say with this film in, in my opinion anyways no I, I i can't blame you a bit on that and it just it's it just seems that you have these films that just do not connect with audiences every now and then, even though they may be better or not a good film for better or worse, but it's, you know, so let's go take it in August, you know, Logan Lucky, that was a very, uh, very well-received film critically, but it didn't draw flies when it came to the box office concern. So a lot of people didn't have that connection with the film as well. So it, and then what what was one of the top boxes movies from that August uh, hitman's bodyguard which obviously uh, from a critical standpoint did not meet up to to a lot of what what these film critics wanted to see but with the fans they they connected a little bit more on on that basis so it's kind of tricky when you're doing that balancing act as a I'm sure as a, a producer or director or whatnot to try and create films that will resonate well with audiences and but if, you know when it all comes down to it you got to do it for yourself and you got to do it because you enjoy doing it i'm sure that's what you say to yourself as you you know you create all these wonderful projects of yours he uh, aronofsky can make whatever films he definitely wants to make but like he says making films is a hard journey there's a lot of people that say no and for you to be so selfish and and, and you know self-centered to have to make a film that gets your point across when the whole medium of film is, is designed to be put in, in front of an audience. It just seems uh, backwards mentality to me. It, I think it seems almost contrary to the goal that you're, you're trying to achieve. Um, it, he gets to make the choices he wants in life. It's not what I would do as a filmmaker. I have very different inherent beliefs about what my responsibilities are as someone who uh, creates content and writes stories and, is in the entertainment world, and uh, we just differ. Like at this point, where I thought you know there's a lot of similarities and a lot of things I really liked about Aronofsky, but now there's clearly a divergent path. But maybe you know when we look back on this, we will see what that is and what ha what has happened with him and why there is such a difference. Uh, moving along here, this was really interesting to me, and I don't know that it's bad or if it's good. It just really struck me as odd. And that's that Harley Quinn is taking over Batman Day. I don't know if you're aware of what Batman Day is, but this will be the fourth year that it's happened. The first one beginning in 2014, I think, um, where the DC Comics celebrated 75 years of Batman with essentially doing like a Batman Day or Batman Weekend. And every year since, they've kind of done a celebration. And uh, Harley Quinn is basically gracing iconic Batman covers as free kind of giveaways from DC that are going to appear in different comic book stores. Uh, the question around this is, you know, isn't that kind of missing the point about celebrating 
Batman every every year to kind of focus on another character. And yeah, Harley Quinn is definitely tied to the Batman universe, but she is growing in such popularity that she has, you know, her own comics, she has her own storylines, she has her own kind of cult following that she almost might rival the popularity of Batman. At this point, I can say that's correct. You know what I mean? So, like, why would you take away from your number one or number two kind of mascot for a comic book brand, Superman possibly being the other one for DC, to focus on Harley Quinn, who's doing well on her own? And the only thing I can think of is if Warner Brothers in DC is really just trying to push the marketing for that, you know, Sirens of Gotham or whatever other movie stuff is in the works. But why would you take away from Batman on Batman weekend? Why not do something really cool with Batman every year? You're going to have a big bat announcement. Make it about this and let everybody else in the bat universe react to that after the fact. Well, I think it's just what you said, that people will seem in their minds at DC that they're going to get excited more for Gotham City Sirens or the love story that's now in possibly in the works with Joker and Harley Quinn uh, creating a movie out of that. They are more interested in that than, let's say, Ben Affleck becoming the Batman in his own series of movies at this point in time. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I think that's what's where DC's headed, and that's where DC's promoting, and they're just more interested in promoting that aspect of the DC universe than actually one of their traditional standbys that they've had and held so dear for such a long time. It feels like a really big missed opportunity. And and if DC is really going to continue doing um, Batman Day, I really think they should go all out and and make BatCon, you know, a convention dedicated to everything Batman. Let some big Batman announcement take the stage. If you want to do these Harley Quinn alternate covers, have them there. That's cool. You know, you could do a lot of stuff. You could talk about all the different developments in the Batman universe across all different mediums, comic books, video games. Uh, movies, uh, anything out there. But just keep it focused on Batman because then you take away from that. And you Again, it's like you're creating something counter to what you're trying to achieve. If you're trying to market Batman, then don't market Harley Quinn. You know? I I, I guess if... I mean, when you market ba- Batman, you're, all, you're marketing Harley Quinn anyways, but I don't think it works the other way around as well. I don't think. Anyways. Well, but, but again, I guess that she's hot right now, so they're just going to be writing that until she's just another part of the DC universe. The last bit of news that I thought was interesting that piggybacks off some of our other uh, discussions on the old cosmic crossfire. You're you're warming up to it. I can see it. Is uh, Twitter is set to stream pregame or pre-shows for Empire? So Empire, the, the breakout drama for the last couple of years, Twitter has signed on to stream a pre-show for it. And I wonder if this is embracing the second screen viewing habits that we've been seeing, especially with sports uh, programming. You know, check this on your phone during halftime or tweet this out during the game. Or is this uh, increasing the importance of mobile as a destination and diminishing the need for traditional TV? If I'm watching the pre-show on my phone, do I end up just watching the show on my phone at some point after, or am I really being asked to juggle two devices? What do you think I, it is? I think at some point in time, it's going to evolve into watching you, you know, your off your tablet, off your smartphone, what have you. And I think it takes they, they're trying to cover all the bases. Uh, I, apparently, it sounds like because 
uh, I know a lot of uh, events and whatnot, like esports. Esports has now. Uh, I've watched esports events on Twitter and watched the ongoing live action, and it, it's been quite a different experience in doing so. And I just think at this point in time that it looks more and more like they do want you to obviously to to hold two devices and and have two devices ready to do go ahead and do that. But it's I think the future is is going to be even more socially media conscious and aware and i think traditional standards of broadcast television are like toys r us going to go by the wayside in the not too distant future but here's the thing we have these glorious 50 60 70 80 inch televisions in our house right how come twitter isn't trying to make a play for that surface is it that twitter and facebook are too inherently personal and that it's an intimate connection with you and your account and what you're looking at, and it's voyeuristic and independent from what might be like a public display? Or is Twitter really missing the ball here, or Facebook for that matter, and not having a, a, a stronger integrated presence into our television devices so that you could have your Twitter feed on the bottom like a ticker tape or something else as you're watching these shows, especially if they're native to Twitter? Well, I'll tell you what, right now with Twitter and Facebook, they, they've been around for a while. So they're trying to do what they can to evolve into that. Facebook is spending uh, hundreds of millions of dollars over the next few years on specific live programming that will be, you know, on their, you know, universe. Like, for instance, uh, as far as from a basketball standpoint, the Ball family is going to be having their, uh, basically their, they're live, they're, they're sh the show as far as put right on, as far as their, their unscripted show put right on uh, the Facebook Live universe and shown through that way and emanating through that way as opposed to traditional basketball, you know, basketball or broadcast channels. And then you're going to be able to see this more and more often as far as going forward where people will be focused more into Facebook on other ad advents as far as all these different avenues that, that Facebook is attempting to offer. But they are traditional standards now of social media, and they have been around now for you know, 20, 10 years, let's, let's give or take. And uh, the, you know, unless they evolve themselves, there's going to be a newer technology that's going to surpass them that people will latch onto pretty quickly if that's the case. Yeah, I, I guess I wonder, you know, how far away are we from, like, Facebook TV as an app? Will it be separate or, you know... Um, uh, you're going to have it for sooner money. rather than later because I know they're spending a ton of money on that. I just, I just wonder what that's going to shake out like as, uh, you know, as I constantly look at the ever-evolving landscape of, of entertainment options. Do we need more apps? Do we... What do we need? You know, where do we go from here? Really, everybody's creating new content, which is great. It gives a lot of content creators options. But if everybody's creating it, then who's sitting around to watch it? Well, I hear you on that. But do you see Amazon spending a ton of money on new programming? Hulu uh, also spending money on new programming. Also, as well, you have Facebook, like I said, spending a ton of money on new uh, and, and I get all, And I get all that. And I think, like, once you get out of, like, the, the group of three or four, that's when things get watered down. Like, you have the big networks, ABC, NBC, Fox, CBS. Um, am I missing one? I think, I think those are the four, right? 
Yeah, ABC, and, CBS, NBC, and Fox. Yeah, so those are the four. You don't see too many new networks coming out of there that aren't partnered with those networks in some way. CW would be the minor kind of exception. On the digital side, you got Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. Now you've got like 15 other streaming apps that are kind of underneath that doing original programming. Everything is going to get to water, be watered down. You want to watch these exclusive series. And hey, you know, they let them spend their money on this great content. It's great that it's out there. But not everybody's going to be able to afford to do it because they're already bought onto the, like, one of the other big four. So I think you're going to start, again, you're trying to attract people, but because you're doing something that's exclusive to you, you're not going to get them because they're already looped into this system. You know, you've lost. Yeah. You've got to, and you basically, you know, end up selling your syndication rights to one of the other four or whatever the existing loop is at the time. So I don't know that Facebook TV or Twitter TV is the way to go considering the other landscapes. I get why they want to do it because they have that distribution platform. People are already there. How do we keep them there? Here's the cool thing that you can only get here. It's why Apple and iTunes has worked so well. And that's why they want to go into creating their own TV stuff. And like we talked about last time, the James Bond rights to be able to say, hey, exclusive to us, can't get it anywhere else. You can only buy the new Bond movie from us. You can only see it from us when we say. It makes a lot of sense. But when you start forcing consumers to go to a bunch of different places to, to get that content, that's when you have cord cutting all over again. I don't want to have to be at home at 8.30 to watch this thing. I want to watch it on my way and in the, in, the, in the place that I want to watch it, whether it's on the bus, on my phone, or whether it's in my living room, on my TV, when I decide I want to do that. Well, I can tell you firsthand, uh, one of the latest entities to come onto the market, Amazon, has their own now called Amazon Channels. And I just found out about it, and I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, up to 100 channels you can do. You get a la carte. Everything's great. Then I looked at it right away, and it's just, okay, ABC, uh, excuse me, HBO, Star, Showtime. And then after that, there's over 90 channels of created, self-created channels uh, that are probably not existing anywhere else except for, you know, just they were made up channels like a surfing channel and there's there's just specific channels out that are out there. So right now it doesn't look like a great deal. But in time, check back maybe two, three years down the line and they will probably go ahead and get that type of, of quality channels that will buy into what they're selling. And if you can get that a la carte, because we're still waiting for that magical day when you can buy a la carte the channels that you want and be able to go ahead and, and for one price actually do it. They're still not quite there yet. They still are hesitant and reluctant to do that. But when you can, when that magical day comes, it's going to be a great day indeed where you can personally pick all those channels that you want to see and only those channels and not get stuck with anything else. Here's the problem. The... TV and film industry, and I'm going to loop them together for the sake of what I'm trying to say, and you'll see why in a second, is creating faster than we can consume, and it's running into the same problem that the video game industry has. There's way too much content and not enough consumer time. It yeah. doesn't matter how many distributors there are, whether it's just Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo, or the free-to-play options that exist on your mobile device. There is not enough hours in the day to consume the amount of content that's being created. So everybody's competing for that 1% to 3% of the pie. And that is a crappy, desperate position to be in yeah. as, a, as a distributor. But I get it as a distributor because, A, you don't have to take the risk on creating the project. You just have to identify which ones you might think work and basically market it and reap whatever rewards come with it. 
Sure, there's some upfront costs sometimes, but by and large, it's a choice that you don't have to make when there's this much good content out there. So technically, you could go on Twitch right now or Facebook Live and just continually run a stream and call it a Rob McCallum Films channel, correct? Yeah, and our good friend Patrick Scott Patterson is essentially doing that on Twitch. He's a 24-hour Twitch stream that is nothing but stuff that he's been associated with, uh, be it trailers, uh, extended interviews, uh, full-on movies and stuff, and it's just going around and around and around. And I can't say that I blame the guy, and he's just going to continually add to it as he's kind of a guy that's out there. Well, that's a great thing to do. It's a great thing to see indeed because you'll have nothing but 24 hours of Jay Bartlett, and who could ask for more, correct? I don't think I need 24 hours of Jay. I don't <laughs> think I need that. <laughs> Maybe he would disagree, but I don't know. Why. Well, he might, but I have enough raw footage of Jay to last me a lifetime. <laughs> Fair enough, indeed. Well, those are some great subjects to talk about. If you have any questions in regards to what we talked about on today's episode of the Cosmic Crossfire, uh, please share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, and game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. And Rob, as always, it, it's always been a great pleasure having you on the Cosmic Crossfire, as it were. Um, and I just truly appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And I look forward to talking to you next week, hopefully. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we're on schedule to do that. And uh, maybe then we can talk about this mysterious project that we just uh, that I threw up a poster for that you didn't ask me about this time. So there yeah, you go. Exactly. Uh, that, uh, yeah, exactly. That you know, I just uh, I like my my you know certain things now and then that relates to kind of like uh, little marionettes and out there. Da, 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 la, 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 la. But uh, giving hints out and there. People could only see what this looks like. Yes, I know, I know. Tell me about it. But uh, uh -huh. there's some great projects that he did suddenly announce on his, uh, you know, Rob McCallum Films Facebook page and all the great stuff that's going on there. And and uh, but you know, you've got great stuff going on. What is coming up with the Kitty movie? You know, you have the premiere and all that, but and also as well, uh, the Masters of the Universe, uh, Powers of Grayskull, and all that. What is going on with all the great things at Rob McCallum Films? Uh, uh, well, the Kitty documentary, Kitty Origins and Evolutions, uh, actually has a little bit of new news. It seems that we've uh, been able to strike a deal for not only domestic but international distribution as well for the doc, which is really exciting. Uh, and I believe there might even be a small little music tie-in for the band, which I, because I don't know enough about it, I can't quite say yet. But focusing on the documentary, it looks like we have international representation now which is always a nice big win as a filmmaker when you set out to make a film on spec, putting essentially you know your money before any deals are done to come out at the end of it and say, yes, this will be available in all markets around the world now, which is really exciting. And uh, you know we march closer and closer to our world premiere in London, Ontario, Canada on October 27th. And then the following night on October 28th, I believe we'll be screening at the Forest City Film Festival here in town as well. And uh, it's just getting really exciting to see everything come together. The last few nights I've been listening to the latest uh, mixes of our 5.1 audio pass for it, which is really great to hear heavy metal and surround sound. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool, to be honest. It's, it's, it's an interesting process when, you, when you're an editor and director and writer as well. And then you get to hand the film off to like a, a seasoned audio pro like John McCarthy, who's done all, the, all my films with me on an audio level. And uh, he 
it makes it better instantly the second he starts touching it. So it's it's really great. And as far as uh, Power of Grayskull, Definitive History of He-Man and the Masters Universe, uh, we continue to shop it. I know Randall and the guys are also uh, putting together uh, the finishing touches on a few other projects that are pop culture related. And so as all these projects get finished up with them, more and more sales talks happen and more and more options for that film come out as well. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Plus, there's so much more. If you want to check out Rob McCallum Films, the Facebook page, sign up, log in, follow, and then you'll be able to go ahead and get all the latest news from Rob McCallum Films, including some projects that he, like I said, he's got coming up uh, as far as Indeed. And I will ask him a little bit more detail about the uh, kind of project he alluded to earlier this week. I'm going to talk to him on our next time we're together on the Cosmic Crossfire to ask him a little bit more if he can elaborate more in detail on that as well. So, Well, I'll try to think of some answers and, and decide what I can say and what I can't say. Hopefully, I should have more information by then, too. And I promise people that go to robmccallumfilms.com, you will see some updates on the website at some point, especially as the Kitty and He-Man docs get kind of wrapped up and I can dig back into box art. And, and absolutely. And don't forget uh, your wonderful work with Tiny Titan Studios as well, correct? That's right. Tiny Titan keeps going strong and um, new updates for Dash Quest and Tiny Rails are out this week. So uh, check your devices and update and get that new gear, get those new trains and, you know, keep it, keep that adventure alive. Absolutely. Because it's, it's a lot of great work that you both you, Glenn, and the entire team at Tiny Titan Studios do. And just so appreciative of that because tell you what, like I said, Dash Quest is a great game and also as well, Tiny Rails is a, a lot of fun indeed. So, well, Rob, as always, truly appreciate uh, – oh, you were saying? I was saying thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, no worries. I'm just – like I said, it's it's really cool, especially uh, when I see my daughter playing uh, Tiny Rails, and she really gets fun out of it, and then I come in and sit in and, and go for, uh, for a little while myself on it. It just is truly a great experience indeed. Well, so, we are – we will have a Steam update soon if she's enjoying it on Steam. So uh, – Get ready for that. It includes South America and the and the fun prospect of having to build stations and purchase rail in order to lay some new ground, so to speak. Oh, that's awesome indeed. That's awesome, Nisa. And I can't wait for that and uh, so much more when it comes to everything that Tiny Titan Studios is doing and everything that Rob McCallum is doing in the world of Rob McCallum Films. Rob, cool. as always, appreciate it, my friend. Cool. Thanks so much. Thank you for being part of the Cosmic Crossfire and part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. <laughs> Way too late for that. It's too late for that. Fair enough indeed. 